And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education and politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Got a lot to get to this week and starting with a little bit of breaking news that came out just this morning, Friday morning. The latest round of test results on the SBAC, the uh, Smarter Balanced Assessment Consortium Test, aligned to the Idaho Core Standards. We just broke the numbers and we'll be breaking them down further. Kevin, this is a big story. The the ISAT by SBAC test has been a big talking point for several years. Last school year, we had the second real year of the ISAT testing. What what are some of the what are some of the numbers telling us, and what's changed from the first year? Well, the good news in the numbers is that uh, test scores went up across the board, regardless of grade level or subject. Uh, students from third grade on into high school, uh, there were improvements both in the math portion of the SBAC and the English uh, language arts portion. So there were improvements. These aren't huge improvements. We're talking about anywhere from one percentage point to four percentage points. So not a not a sea change here, maybe more of an incremental improvement, but you did see improvements across the board. Um, that's the good news. The bad news, I suppose, is that you're still seeing some of the same soft areas in the scores that we saw a year ago. Uh, high school math scores are continuing to, to kind of lag. Only 31% of high school students scored either advanced or proficient on the SBAC. It's an improvement from 30%, but 31% is uh, still uh, a, a long ways to go from where I think the state really wants to get those numbers. And that kind of lines up, does it not, with, I did some reporting on math achievement a couple of weeks ago, and state officials had been concerned that as students get older, as they progress in school, that their achievement levels on, on math go down. Did we see that in the ISAT this year, or, or it, what was it, the case? It, it's exactly what we saw again. Uh, the lowest scores, the lowest proficiency rating is in that high school math uh, portion of the SBAC, and you can, you can see the numbers drop uh, by grade. It's not a linear progression, but definitely uh, kids are doing better in math in the early grades. Uh, again, soft scores in the high school level. And, you know, as you reported uh, a couple of weeks ago, there's been a lot of resources put into improving math scores and a lot of concern that right now those scores are, are stagnant. Um, you know, there's an improvement here, but uh, it's uh, it's so slight that uh, there's still a long way to go. This is kind of a developing story for us, too, as we rep- record Extra Credit, Kevin. Uh, but where can folks go if they want to find the latest and if they want to uh, take a look at what this means? We'll be updating this story uh, throughout Friday, and we'll try to get uh, even more of a breakdown in these numbers next week. But basically, you can look at the statewide numbers, and we're going to break out and try to get you some district numbers as quickly as we can so that you can see what's uh, happening in your neighborhood. Okay, that sounds great. So head on over to IdahoEdNews.org. We'll be updating it uh, throughout the day Friday, and and likely we'll have some follow-ups and maybe some district-specific numbers. Yeah, I would like to next week really dig into these numbers and try to find out some some success stories maybe around the state and maybe some areas where the numbers are are improving or maybe some areas where they're not. So we'll try to do a little bit more of a a detailed dive into the numbers as, uh, as we get time next week. That sounds great, Kevin. Thanks. So you spent a good deal of time this week, Clark, at uh, hearings to talk about the new 
school accountability measures. So this is how we're going to measure how the schools are performing. What came out of those hearings? We kicked off the, the State Board of Education right now is having a series of seven, seven public hearings across the state to kind of gather suggestions and input and feedback into this accountability model. The first of those two hearings uh, took place in and around the Treasure Valley, uh, Boise and in Valley View on Wednesday and Thursday this week. And what I found was small crowds um, and, and a lot of questions and curiosity still about what the accountability system is, what it means, what's going to be in there when this takes place. And that's that wasn't a surprise really to me. This is a, a big major new program. It has to do with requirements from the Federal Every Student's Succeeds Act uh, that was signed in late 2015. And so... A lot of educators and administrators and teachers and parents certainly have some questions about this accountability system and what it means. And the issue um, that came up this week is Idaho is talking about, if you remember a couple of years ago, we had a five-star rating system, mm -hmm. which essentially yes. gave schools a summative rating. That was repealed in 2014. What the state wants to do this year is satisfy some basic federal accountability requirements, which include those ISAT SBAC scores that you just mentioned, Kevin, that has to be in the federal plan. The state wants to include multiple measures, and so they're talking about what school quality and teacher quality metrics should be included in this accountability system. That's what the discussion was about, really, uh, these past two days with these past two hearings in the area. Some of the suggestions were wanting to obviously move away from ISAT, look into things like humanities offerings, the number of high school students who are earning college credits at the high school level, foreign language offerings, um, and, and different things uh, of that nature. Uh, there's still five more public hearings that are going to take place throughout the state in September and October, and then this goes back to the State Board of Education for a formal vote likely in November, and then it will go to the legislature um, some point early in 2017, with the idea being that this is the accountability system that will govern our schools during the Starting 17 and 18 year. school year. Uh, and there's a couple of things that go along with that. Idaho would have to identify uh, the lowest 5% of performing schools for accountability measures. There would be some they improvement come up with a plan plans for them, right. uh, for them. For the rest of the schools, there would be these data dashboards that would present the school quality and teacher quality uh, indexes. And so if you want to get a little bit more of a sense of the meetings, uh, we covered them in two separate articles IdahoEdNews.org, and uh, we'll be following them when they get back to eastern Idaho in a couple weeks as well, and we'll cover the state board meeting in November. So to kind of cut to the chase here, I mean, is it too early to know what this thing's going to look like? If I'm, a, if I'm a patron or a parent and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to learn about my schools through this accountability uh, measure, do we know yet? It's still, there's some things we know, and there are some details that are still being developed. We know the basics. We know the federal requirements involve ISAT uh, standardized test results. We know that. We know the state wants to break down school performance into sort of three different classifications of schools, your high schools, your alternative schools, and your K-8 through schools. We know that. The devil lies in the details of what's going to be in these multiple measures on this state dashboard. There's some proposals out there. The State Board of Education has given preliminary approval to some of those proposals. 
but it's almost like it's written in pencil as opposed to ink at this point, uh, to kind of borrow a, a cliche that we hear in policy circles. So we don't know quite all of the details yet. Uh, that's why this public forum, public hearing process is valuable because educators and taxpayers will get a chance to look at those proposals uh, and make suggestions. But we don't know exactly how it will look like, and we don't know what the data dashboard will look like either. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for sure. Um, I wanted to talk to you, Kevin, about school finance. You did a big package um, last month, uh, last couple weeks, about uh, school funding and the history of school funding in Idaho. You took another look at it uh, this week uh, and did something you hadn't done before. What was it and what did you find out? So what I did this time, and it's a blog and you can look at it at idahoednews.org and you can look at this latest round of numbers. What I did was I tried to look at how schools have done since 2006 going into 2016 and, and compare the funding and adjust it for inflation. So what we did was we took the numbers and we, we multiplied them against the, uh, you know, the rate of inflation, which is basically 19% over the course of 10 years. And what we found was that about three and four school districts have actually lost ground in funding when you adjust those $2,006 for inflation. Uh, some districts really uh, saw large increases even when adjusted for inflation, but those are your districts that are having a lot of enrollment growth. Um, it's, it's not a surprise because attendance and as a cousin to attendance, enrollment are, are factors that contribute to funding. Exactly. So you would expect to see more dollars following more students into districts like Valley View, West Ada, uh, Teton County, Bonneville. Your usual suspects when we talk about growth in Idaho school districts, when you look at the districts that uh, lost money when adjusted for inflation, you see districts that have had, maybe had flat enrollment, even dropping enrollment, other trends that kind of jumped out at me when I did this. You look at those four-day school districts. We've talked about that so many times uh, and how districts went to the four-day calendar partly because they were hoping to save some money. Almost all of your four-day school districts saw a decrease in funding when those numbers are, are adjusted for inflation. So we kind of break those numbers down further. I got a big spreadsheet that you can download so you can see what happened in your district. And it, kind of a, it was kind of a fun project to do because it, it all kind of sprung from, um, from a fellow who was following us on Twitter and looked at our numbers and asked about the inflation, did his own math, sent me his spreadsheets. I looked at him. I did my own math. I, I ran the numbers for myself, uh, found out, you know, the methodology he used made sense. So we, we did a blog with it. School finance is such a big deal and it's such a, a, a story I love to write about because it's so important. But this was one I kind of wanted to break out quickly because, uh, you know, we did get some, some Twitter traffic on it and just kind of wanted to follow it through. So you can look at those numbers for yourself and, and see uh, what happened in your neighborhood. And it's an important topic, Kevin, because as we speak, there are interim committee committees meeting this summer and this off-season to take a look at the overall school finance picture and the school funding formula in Idaho. Exactly. So it's certainly an important and timely issue, and I want to thank you for uh, your reporting in okay. that area. Now, you spent some time, Clark, with uh, a new face in the State Department of Education and got to know him and, you know, gave readers a chance to get to know him. Who is Duncan Robb and why should we care about him? Duncan Robb is 
the new chief uh, policy advisor for Sherry Ybarra's State Department of Education. He kind of takes on that role uh, that former State Senator Tim Corder had uh, before he suddenly left the department during the last legislative session. And, and so why we should care about this is he's going to be a State House regular. He's going to be a big uh, factor in school policy and helping uh, implement and drive uh, Superintendent Ybarra's policy in political circles. He's going to become one of the public faces uh, of Ybarra's State Department of Education. And so that's why it matters. That's why uh, we did the story this week. Who and he is? And his background couldn't be much more different than Tim Quarter's background. I mean, Tim Quarter had kind of come up through Idaho politics. He'd served in the state Senate. Duncan Robb has never served in elected office, right? And he's new to Idaho. Never served in elected office, new to the state of Idaho. Uh, he was actually working on education policy implementation in Washington, D.C. through an education nonprofit, and that gave him a chance to work more with State Department of Education, even though he was in D.C. He was working with State Departments of Education rather than, say, members of Congress or the U.S. Department of Education. And interestingly, he actually worked with Superintendent Ibarra on helping her develop the strategic plan in the early part of her term. That's when he first came to Idaho, first met the team at the SDE. Uh, his background is different uh, than Senator Corder, and when Senator Corder left, um, that's when the opportunity came up for, for Duncan. He's a younger guy, just moved to Idaho for the first time with his wife, but he has a lot of policy experience and familiarity, and he did sort of help play a role in crafting the department's strategic plan. So in that way, he was already familiar with education policy and already f familiar with education policy a little bit in Idaho. I know that's a steep learning curve, as you and I know, um, and, uh, and he'll be busy uh, during the legislative session. And we expect another busy legislative session on the education front. And so he'll play kind of a front and center role. And for folks that read Idaho Ed News regularly, I expect you'll see uh, his name. He'll get quoted a lot. Yeah, you'll see his name and, and his ideas in there. So we just wanted to give people an idea of who he is uh, before the, uh, the session got going. So you can check that out for sure. Okay. Um, another headline from this week we'll get to really quickly here, um, Boise School Board elections. Um, they were on Tuesday, the day after Labor Day. Yeah. Uh, we have one new trustee and we have one holdover trustee. The new trustee, Beth Oppenheimer, a longtime advocate on early education issues. Uh, the holdover is Dave Wagers. He was the president of Idaho Candy Company. If you buy those Bud Bars, you know, he's, he's the guy. So he was appointed a year ago. He is still on the school board. He was uh, reelected. Um, one of the headlines, though, that comes out of this is uh, turnout. It was low, as yeah. you would expect, yeah. the day after Labor Day. 5% turnout, a little bit shy of 5% turnout. Boise operates under a whole different set of rules because they're a charter district. But I, I have to wonder, because we've already heard a lot of discussion at the State House about school board elections, school elections, and abysmal turnout, even though the legislature really probably can't do anything in terms of uh, changing Boise's election calendar because it's uh, protected under the district charter, I gotta wonder if a 5% turnout isn't one of those numbers that some legislators are gonna look at and say, is there a different way to approach school board elections to increase engagement, increase turnout? So. 
Anyway, just spinning it forward, I wonder if this isn't something that we hear more about uh, when the legislature gets back into town in a few months. It'll be interesting for sure. I'm falling right after Labor Day. Um, Didn't help it at all. Even the procedures for voting are a little different if you live within the school district bounds. You don't necessarily vote at your normal polling place like you would if you were voting for president or, or legislative races, you vote at a local school, and it just looks and feels so different, uh, and it's not on a lot of people's radars, uh, and, and, and certainly the week of Labor Day, I don't think, it, did anybody any favors. It's a funky voting experience, and I can attest to that. I went to one of my neighborhood schools, um, school where sure. my, my kids went, yeah. uh, and the good thing, I suppose, is the way the Boise District does it. You can vote at any school. If you're driving by a school, you can vote at a school. Uh, you just have to uh, you know, sign the, the paperwork and they have to check you in. Yeah. But as I went to that school, and I went about 5 in the afternoon, so late you know, on the election day, uh, they said I was about the 40th person to vote All <laughs> at day. that school. That, and that they'd day. opened at 8 a.m. Yeah, it was, a, it was a long day for 40 people to show up, and I think I saw that the final numbers in my uh, my school, I think I had 58 people voted that mm, school, so okay. it didn't ramp up too much those final three hours. So anyway, that's what happened in the Boise school elections, and you can get caught up uh, at idahoednews.org. Lots to check out at idahoednews.org this week. If, if you like numbers, we've got SBAC numbers, we've got some funding numbers. Our Devin, uh, Devin Bodkin did a really nice job looking at Fund balances, uh, reserve funds that school districts have and, and hang on to as contingencies for uh, for emergencies, $215 million. That number really surprised me. It, it's something you don't always think about, uh, and, and he dove into those numbers. Uh, and it, it was interesting for me. I did not know uh, what the total w- would come to, and it's not something I think about every day, but I think it's worth thinking about, and I think that... Uh, that article did a good job shining a light on that issue. And so um, it, definitely worth reading and, and, and checking out for sure. And it's one of those stories where as I was reading it and, and editing the story, you know, there are there are compelling arguments on both sides of this debate. I mean, the, the school administrators who say, look, we want to have a healthy fund balance can say, you never know what's going to happen. We may have to do some emergency repairs or some emergency projects that we can't cover any other way. Uh, it's prudent to have some money in the bank. Uh, but you also have uh, you know, Wayne Hoffman of the Idaho Freedom Foundation, a you know, conservative watchdog group saying, hey, this is taxpayer money. These districts are asking for supplemental levies on top of this in a lot of cases. Why are they sitting on so much money? So it's, it's a really well done story in that you can kind of look at the numbers, you can look at uh, the arguments on both sides of it. Uh, it's a good piece. I definitely it, recommend it's it. It's an interesting piece, and sometimes that money doesn't just sit there. Like I, I believe if we look at the West Ada School District this year, I believe they are spending down their it. savings yeah. uh, to help pay for teacher salaries and, and contract days and, and things of that nature. And so it doesn't necessarily just sit there. There are concrete examples of, of when that money has been uh, tapped into, and, and that's certainly not a sustainable funding source going forward. Uh, but the district in West Ada's case is using it uh, this year. But a lot of great headlines on our site. It's been a busy week. We'll be back next week. Um, we're going to have a little bit more on our SBAC results uh, for you guys next week um, to look at. And we will stay plenty busy 
uh, as we get closer and closer to these legislative elections in November. So, as always, thanks so much for listening to Extra Credit. Be sure to connect with Idaho Education News on Facebook and follow at Idaho Ed News on Twitter for all the latest. Till next time, I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.